Welcome back, friends. This is Parenting for the Culture. I'm Cherie Sims, and I'm happy to be back here. I want to start off by sharing the pit and peak of my day, something that I do with my children every night at the dinner table when we are at a dinner table together. Um, And I like to start with the pit of my day because I like to leave on a high note. But this time I'm going to start with the peak of my day because the pit of my day is a little bit longer and it's going to take us into some good conversation today. So the peak of my day was definitely seeing my two oldest children. My two oldest children just took a week-long trip to New York with my mom and they got home today. So I was able to pick them up and see them. I got a big hug from my 10-year-old, and I got a pound from my (laughs) 12-year-old, but I'm going to take it. Uh, If any of you have preteens, y'all know what it's like and you feel me. But the pit of my day is kind of a residual of the last couple of weeks and what's been going on. If you follow me on Instagram, Cherie Sims, you know that I just put all my business out there on the internet. So you might already know what I'm talking about, but my family has been in transition. We've been in the midst of a move, and I ended up on a very expensive vacation to the hospital. Y'all, now I want time away from my children. I do. And I want a moment to myself, but not this way. I don't want it in an expensive ambulance ride and then in a overcrowded hospital, you know, for not enough time, not getting the music that I want and the food that I want. This isn't what I wanted, but that is the pit of my day. Let's talk a little bit about how I got there. So like I said, we're in transition. We're in a move. Quick backstory. I'm sorry to just like throw this out at y'all, but my life is complex and I've been here 37 years, which to some may be short, to others may be long. Oh, and side note, When the paramedics came to get me, they described me as a mid to late 20s female. So I'm going to take that as a total win. I was very excited about that. In my state of passing out, being sick, throwing up, I wanted to high five someone. I'm trying to thank them. Um, So that was fantastic. But when I was younger, my family did deal with a lot of homelessness. And there was a not a lot of homelessness. <laughs> we went through a season of being displaced out of our home and not living on the streets, but not having an actual house where my whole family could be together. I spent a lot of time living with different friends uh, in their homes, living out of a suitcase, just kind of going from place to place every week. And my mom stayed in kind of like a Motel 6. And when I would go to visit her in this motel, I kid you not, she just had our lifetime worth of things in boxes packed up and they were all stacked one on top of the other. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen the I Love Lucy episode, but it's the best way that I can describe what it looked like. There's an episode where I Love Lucy has all this crazy stuff in her apartment and boxes piled all the way to the ceiling. And there's just kind of a maze. And her and Ricky are like yelling for each other to find each other. That's what my mom's motel room looked like. It was just boxes from our house and all of our belongings stacked from the floor to the ceiling with just a maze to kind of get you to the bed where we would sit and hang out and eat. I remember we even celebrated a birthday on that bed, but it was a traumatizing period of time. And ever since then, like anytime we're moving and anytime I see boxes, my body responds like that trauma lives in my body. And regardless of how conscious I can be about it and regardless of how much I can try to prep, it's still something that is very much so in my body. 
And funny story, when my husband and I first started dating, he moved from an apartment to a house around the corner. And I legit cried. And I was like, it's over. We're breaking up. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're not breaking up. I'm just moving across the, you know, across the street. And I'm like, no, this is how it works. Everything ends. So all of that to say, it's a very hard thing for me to deal with. And as soon as I start to see boxes, it's hard for me to deal with. As soon as we got to move things, it's hard for me to deal with. And I did the best that I could. But a viral infection threw me over and landed me in the hospital. And my children have been transitioning with me. So, you know, today I want to talk a little bit about transitions, life changes. They don't just happen with moves. They happen when your child goes from being at home to going to daycare, being at daycare to going to preschool, uh, elementary school, switching schools, all kinds of different changes and transitions that we deal with and how they can be really hard on children and really hard on us as the adults. But I'm going to focus on the children today. So a few people have reached out to me asking me, you know, I'm about to move also. How do I manage? How do I deal? How do I prep my child? And there are several things that we can do to help prep our children. But before we do those things, I want to kind of talk about what expectations we should have as the parents. What do we think might happen in our children? What can we look for? What can we understand so that it doesn't become an extra battle or an extra hurdle? So during transitions, some of the things that you can see differences in are your child's behavior. They might start acting out. They might start being kind of mean. They might start protesting things a lot. You can see changes in how they sleep. They might have been very good sleepers all of this time, but now all of a sudden they don't want to go to sleep at night. They don't want to go to sleep in their bed. They don't want to go to sleep without you rubbing their back for 30 minutes. They have changes in their appetite. Sometimes all of a sudden they're craving more sugar. They're craving fast foods. And before I even go on, because I want to keep up with my own thoughts, let me tell you a little bit about why and how this happens. So with changes in behavior, this can happen because as a child grows up and as they get older, their need for autonomy, their need for control, those things grow with them. And they want to have a sense of independence. They want to have a sense of control over their life. So when there are changes happening and they're not really sure what's happening or what it's going to look like and why these things are changing, they start to feel like their lives are out of control. And a lot of times, one of the only things that they control is their behavior or their willingness to say yes or no to something. So a lot of times we see this in their behavior. A lot of times also their behavior changes because they feel these differences, they feel these things changing, they feel the anxiety but they don't necessarily know how to tap in and tune into what they are feeling to be able to communicate that to us. You know, remember our children, they're little. If they're three, four years old, like they just started talking. So their main means of communication before this was crying and screaming to let you know that something was wrong and that they needed something. But they are just now learning how to be in touch with themselves and say, something doesn't feel right. I have a need for stability. <laughs> like what four-year-old or six-year-old or eight-year-old do you imagine would come to you and say, you know, things feel really unstable right now. I have a need for stability. They're not going to do that. So instead, they're just going to act out. And it's kind of their way of trying to communicate to you that things don't feel right in my body. 
things don't feel right in my world and I need help. I need to help control them. When it comes to their sleep patterns, a lot of times this changes because, again, they have this sense of instability. They're unsure of what is going to happen. So even the idea of going to bed, a lot of times bedtime is a time of separation for your children and for your littles. In their perspective, this is that period of time that they're not going to see you again for another seven to eight hours. But now, especially in this moment of transition, not only are they not going to see you, but they're not exactly sure what things are going to look like or feel like when they see you again. So they are really holding on to hanging out with you, being close to you. They feel your anxiety, so they don't even know if maybe you need them around. <laughs> like they're, you know, they're protective, they're loving, they want to be here for us. So we see these changes in their sleep because they have a need for a stronger attachment. They have a need to quell that feeling of insecurity and unsurety. And then appetite. A lot of times you'll even see a difference in what they want to eat. And sometimes this has has to do with almost the need. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it, but it's almost like a need for a dopamine rush, right? <laughs> like as an adult, my vice is iced lattes. That's what I love. If I start to get stressed out, I want an iced latte. Just sipping it is going to make me feel better. It may not make sense, but that is just kind of my vice. So for children, candy makes them feel better. Sugar makes them feel better. Fast food makes them feel better. So again, it's them trying to meet this need of things inside my body, things inside my world don't feel good and I want to feel better. So we see these issues with behavior, with sleep, with eating. Um, and we see these issues even with they used to go to school. Everything was fine. Now maybe they're crying because they don't want to get out the car to go to school. They're holding on to you tighter. We see these issues of attachment, which we could call this behavior as well. But again, it's the same idea of they're unsure. They're trying to gain control. They're trying to have security. And they want and need us to do that and provide it for them. So there are a few things that we can do. One, kind of understanding why they behave this way, why these things come up. One, it just kind of gives us a little more assurance, the ability to prepare for it, because now we're not dealing with a life change and a behavior problem thinking, oh my God, what is wrong with my child? I think a lot of times behavior problems happen and we kind of have an idea that this is linked together, but we're still in this place of, but I don't know what to do about it. Like, this is too much. I have to deal with this move and now I have to deal with this behavior. And now they're not sleeping. Like that feels like a lot. And those were all things that I dealt with with my children with the move. You know, there were behavioral issues. There were people up at 10, 11 o'clock at night that I so desperately wanted them to go to sleep hours before. But knowing and expecting that maybe this was going to happen, it made it a little more easy for me to manage. And it also gave me a lot more grace and compassion for them. Now I'm not yelling at them and treating them as if they're bad children, giving me a hard time. Like I truly honestly understand they're having a hard time too. We're all having a hard time right now. And having that compassion allows me to comfort them a little bit more, allows me to hug them when they need the hug. It just makes it easier when you have the understanding, when you have that compassion and that grace, rather than feeling like now you just have all these additional problems. And it makes it easier when you expect it. You know, nobody likes to hit traffic when you thought you were going to get somewhere in 20 minutes and now it's going to take you an hour and a half. 
But if you know from jump, it's going to take you an hour and a half to get there, you have the ability to leave an hour earlier so you can still get to your place on time. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to prep for this traffic that we're going to hit in transitioning with our children. So when it comes to behavior issues, remember I said that the behavior issues come from this feeling of not knowing what to expect, not having control. So rather than leaving them in the dark and leaving them in a place of not having any clue of what's going on and what to expect, sit down with them, have a conversation. You could do this at dinner. You could do this at bedtime. You can find a story at bedtime that talks about moving and transition to open up the conversation. But really, this is one of those things that I think a lot of times parents just overthink. They're like, how do I start the conversation? What time do I sit them down? Just do it. Like, We're in the car with our children all the time. We're giving them baths. We're at dinner. Like there's so many opportunities that you can kind of just bring it up. If they say something, lean into that conversation and bring it up and say, you know, we're getting ready to move or you're getting ready to go to school. What are are your thoughts about that? How are you feeling about that? What do you think that's going to look like? That's a huge question that you can ask. It's a huge question that you can even skip over and just move right into I want to tell you a little bit about what this is going to look like, because that's the part that children are missing. They're missing that picture and those expectations of what this is going to look like. So in the realm of this move with my children, I literally took my children to a park. We got some food along the way. I said some food because I wanted to hide the fact that I went to McDonald's, but I went to McDonald's. We grabbed our little Happy Meals, we went to the park, we took out our picnic chairs, and we had circle time at the park, right? My children are used to circle time. There's six of them, there's one of me, I'm a teacher, they've been doing circle time with me their whole life. But even if that's not something we've done, I think it's a great and easy thing that anybody can do. You can go to your backyard, you can go to a park. And we sat and we had circle time and I said, you know, children, I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what you can expect the next week to look like or the next few weeks to look like. And I told them what it would look like to have people coming into our house to move boxes. We talked about what the timeline would look like from when we're in our home to when we're in the new home. We as adults can even imagine that once we move, we know there are still going to be boxes. We know the pictures are not going to be up on the walls yet. We know that maybe there's going to be big things in the backyard and the backyard isn't going to be accessible. But for a child, they're kind of just like, okay, I live here and next week I'll live there and I will have access to everything. No, like y'all, the TVs aren't going to be set up. (laughs) We're not going to have internet at first. We're, we're going to be eating the easiest of things like mapping, kind of mapping out and thinking about all the things that you may even overlook because you're so used to knowing about this and explaining that to them. You're not going to have a TV in the living room for the first day. That's going to be the last thing we're going to set up. So we're not going to be able to watch movies, but maybe we can take out the iPad and we can watch a movie together the first night we're there. Would you like that? Would you like to have a movie night together? And kind of getting them excited about things that can happen. And again, this is where we can start to give them control back. You know, what do you want your first night to look like there? Do you want to sleep with this blanket or do you want to sleep with that blanket? Do you want to have a movie night when we get there or do you want to have a family dinner at the table? What do you think we should cook as our first meal when we get to our new house? So doing things like that, preparing them for what it's going to look like, giving them a sense of control back in 
What are things that you want to do when we get there? This is really going to help quell the behavior. And I don't know if that's the right word, but that's the right word I'm using. This is not to say that it's going to eliminate behavior, (laughs) poor negative behavior, whatever you want to call it. It's not to say that it's going to eliminate it, but it's going to ease it a lot. And it's going to give them a lot of what they need that's lacking and that's missing. And it's also going to give you a reference point. So sometimes if they are acting out, I'll share a story with my six-year-old. She's having, I I won't say she's having a hard time with the move. She's a very, very high energy child. She's a very deeply feeling child. So, you know, a lot of things can be very intense with her. And in the midst of the move, she's kind of doing all the little sister stuff, like poking at her sisters for no reason. You know, she's she's that child. She's also the very loving child who will randomly just tell you, you're so beautiful. Right. I want to tell you all that her middle name is love, y'all, because she is the embodiment of love. But she is also the little sister. Her sister was in the bathroom trying to get dressed and we were at a hotel that didn't have a lock on the bathroom. So she was having the time of her life with that, trying to get in the bathroom with her sister. And so I said, Eden Love, come here. Let your sister get dressed. Let her finish in the bathroom. And when she's done in the bathroom, you can go in there and have a turn. Or what it looks like to me is that you're trying to play with her. But what I'm hearing from her is that she doesn't want to play right now. So let's give her a moment in the bathroom. And when she comes out, Maybe she'll be willing to play with you. And my daughter kind of drops her hands and drops her head. And she looks at me and she's like, mommy, why am I always the problem? Right. And so I'm going to shift for a moment here because I want to address that question. And it was something that I did share and got a lot of questions on. But it's also the type of questions that you're going to hear during a transition is, why am I bad? Why am I the problem? Because again, we're going to see these behavioral changes and people are going to address them a certain way. And even when we equip ourselves for how to address them, there are other people involved. So while I might address her with certain things, her sisters are not over here giving her all the grace and compassion in the world because they're having their own experience. They're over here like, stop messing with me. You're annoying, (laughs) right? So she's hearing these negative comments elsewhere. So I brought her over. And rather than just saying, you know, you're not a problem, babe. You're not always the problem. You're just bugging your sister a little bit right now, which quite honestly, like that's my inclination. I want to just sit her down and tell her how she's wrong about these negative feelings and thoughts about herself. But I realize that that's not necessarily going to help her. She's not necessarily going to believe me just because I said it to her. So instead, I asked her the question, is that true? And that is one of my favorite questions to ask children going through challenging thoughts. It's one of my favorite questions to ask myself about myself when I'm going through a hard time. It's my favorite question to ask about my husband when I feel like he is doing something to me. I'll be like, is that true, Sharice? And a lot of times I find, no, it's not true, right? Something else is, there's another need that's trying to be met and it can be misconstrued. So she and I sat down and I asked her, is that true? And she was like, yes, it is true. And I said, oh, that must really suck to feel that way. Like, that's not a good feeling to feel like you're the problem. And that's how we validate a child, right? We don't necessarily have to tell them, you know what, you're right. You are always the problem. That's not validation. Validation is just allowing them to feel their feelings, 
and meeting them where they're feeling because once they feel seen, once they feel heard, now they're more willing to connect with us and cooperate with us. So once she saw that I could understand that that really doesn't feel good to feel like you're always the problem, she literally turned her body more to me. So now I know she's more connected to me. The body language says so. She lifted her eyes. She's more willing to listen to me and hear me and talk to me. And I said, would you be willing to think of just one time that you were not the problem and you were a helper? And she thought of a time and she said, well, I got you water once. And I said, that's true, actually you've gotten me water a lot of times. And she said, yeah, I have. And then I said, I have an even trickier question for you. Can you tell me a time today that you were the helper? And she said, yeah, this morning I got the twins their clothes. And I said, you did. Oh my God. And I said, Eden, are you're a helper. So is it true that you're always the problem? And she smiled and she said, no. And then she literally went on like a five, 10 minute ramp ramp telling me about all of the times that she's been a great helper, all of the times that she's been a great leader. And I could see her face and her body go from feeling really bad about herself and feeling really bad to now feeling really confident and feeling really good about herself, walking out feeling like I'm a leader and I'm a helper. And then not only feeling that way, but now continuing to move in that way. So now she's no longer wanting to bug her sister. Now she's moved into a space of, I wonder if my sister needs anything to help her get dressed. And how do I continue to be that leader and helper? So, you know, those are ways that we can kind of, we'll we'll still see the behavioral problems, but we can still address them and we can still help them. And like I said earlier, another thing that we did in this conversation was you can use that initial circle time conversation as a reference point. So When we're talking about, are you always the problem? I asked her, you know, remember when we were at the park and we sat down and I said, this is what it's going to look like. This is maybe what it's going to feel like. That's another thing we talked about is how it might feel to have this move because they can't necessarily predict that it might not feel so good. So having that conversation with them of it might not feel good at times or it might feel boring or it might feel this and that's okay. And even in the moment of the conversation, a lot of them said, no, I'm really excited. And I said, that's good. I'm glad. I'm so, I'm so happy that everyone's excited. But we might also feel icky at some times. And that's okay. And you can feel excited and you can feel bad. So anyways, we referenced this conversation and she said, oh, yeah, I do. I remember. And I said, so do you think maybe some of the things that you're doing that are problematic? That's another thing we said. I said, you're not a problem, but sometimes we do things that people don't like. So I said, do you think maybe some things that you're doing right now are a result of this move that's happening and all of the feelings involved? And she said, yeah. And one thing that's great about being able to do this is, is that now these negative experiences that we're having, she doesn't have to internalize them as a part of her identity. She can recognize that, okay, this is associated with what's happening right now. This is not me. I can make a different choice. I can change. I can be the person that I want to be and show up the way that I want to show up. So that's enough about behavior for right now. Let's move into sleep. So obviously we're we're going to see changes in sleep because maybe they're worried about what's happening. They're anxious. They don't want to let you go. They don't know what it's going to look like the next morning. And sometimes you can see changes in sleep because maybe you're staying at a hotel for a few days 
Or maybe you're renovating the house and you got to stay at grandma and grandpa's place for a few days and you don't have your regular stuff. You know, I've always, from my first child, I've always been that parent that's like, I'm going to put them at bed at seven (laughs) o'clock. They're going to go to bed. They're going to wake up when they wake up. They need to get their 10, 13 hours sleep. And that was a trap for me at certain points because we couldn't do anything outside of the regular routine. If we went somewhere, I'm like, well, I don't know how to get them to sleep. We're, (laughs) We're not at home. They need their bed. And so one thing that I've learned along the way is that there are little simple things that you can do such as taking their favorite blanket with them. And believe it or not, this works for babies all the way to teenagers, all the way to us, right? Like we're gonna sleep better on a plane if we have our blanket and our little plane pillow that we put around our neck as opposed to the one that they might give us on the flight. So being able to bring things with you that remind them of their stability Because remember that they're facing instability right now and they're unsure about that instability. So if you can carry parts of their stability with them, that's going to help them to get to bed a little bit easier. They're not going to go to bed on time. Again, we got to have realistic expectations. Most likely they're not going to get to bed on time, but they are going to go to bed a little bit easier if they have their favorite toy with them, if they have their favorite blanket with them. Maybe they have their favorite pajamas or their pillow. So things that you can bring with them that remind them of what is stable in their life is going to help you to get them to bed. Also, keeping up with your regular bedtime routine. So if normally you do dinner and bath time, read a book and go to bed, try to still do that as best as you can. You may not do this at the same times. So I'm not talking about your same schedule. I am talking about your same routine. So regardless of what time it is, still try to have dinner. Maybe it's not at a dinner table, but you're still having dinner. You're still doing bath time. You can still read a book. If you don't have books, tell a story. Tell a story together and then lay down for bed. And what this does is a lot of times children, you know, they only have their biological clocks. They're not looking at clocks. They can't tell time. They can only tell by rhythm and routine. So trying to keep that rhythm, trying to keep that routine is what is going to be most helpful for them. And if all else fails, y'all, I believe in melatonin gummies, okay? You can find them at Target. You can find them at CVS Walgreens. I believe in melatonin gummies for my children, and they help. Let's see. We also talked about changes in appetite, changes in food. So a lot of times we'll see this because, again, they're just craving for something that makes them feel better. Honestly, y'all, this is your choice. (laughs) For me, I was like, yes, we're going to do McDonald's because as a mom and what I was dealing with and going through, that was easiest for me. So I'm not even going to sit here and give you a bunch of tips and tools for how to get them to eat right. I mean, like, let's throw some fake ones out there. Uh, Go ahead and get them some fruit to calm their desire for sugar. Go ahead and get them some juice or some sugar-free popsicles so they could feel like they're having the sugar, but they're still eating healthy. I really don't know what to tell you all with that one. Like sometimes it is just hard to do those things and it's just easier to take a break and relax on some things, right? All these transitions really do require give and take. So you kind of got to prioritize what is most important for you What is least important for you? What can you let go of a little bit? Maybe that's bedtime. Maybe it's what we're eating. Um, I obviously wouldn't say get into the habit of eating poor food 
all the time. And now we're just, we just have a bad diet. But I think the best way to avoid that is to continue planning your meals. Even if you're on the road and you have to eat out all the time, like we did last week, even planning for those meals, knowing I'm going to have Chipotle on this night and El Pollo Loco the next night, you know, planning and preparation always helps to stay away from the worst possible scenario. I wanted to have a cute little alliteration there, but I didn't. If anybody has one, let me know. But planning and preparation really are going to help you to avoid all these power struggles, to avoid these challenging moments. So planning meals, whether they're fast food or at home, and always, always, because remember, our children are looking for a sense of control, a sense of autonomy and independence. So anywhere where you can invite them to be a part of the process, you are going to find that you are fighting them a lot less. So even when it comes to meals, if you see that they are craving a lot more sugar, a lot more fast food, invite them into the process. Take them to the store with you. Allow them to pick out the foods with you. Allow them to plan the meals with you. Allow them to cook with you. These things really will help. I know I said I didn't have tips for it. I think it was just because personally I was over it because I'm in a mom mode space of like McDonald's for everybody. But there are things you can do. And those are some of the things that you can do. You can plan with them. You can prep with them. You can cook with them. You can grocery shop with them. And all of these things have other benefits in that they allow you to bond with your child. These are those moments where you might find an opportunity to have those conversations of, What does it look like? How is it feeling for you? What are your thoughts? What are your fears? And the last thing I'll say is, you know, just be mindful. Be mindful of what you're experiencing and that you're not projecting your feelings and experiences on your child. And be mindful of what they might be experiencing. Our children talk to us and tell us how they're feeling all the time. And I know that seems obvious, but they tell us when we are not actually listening. So listen to your child. If your child is playing with their toys on the floor, listen. Listen out for the kind of play that they're having because they're going to reveal to you how they're feeling. Those little dolls that they're playing with are going to say something to each other that may sound crazy to you or may give you like really good insight into how they are coping with these transitions, what they're scared about, or what they might expect and be excited about that may or may not be a realistic expectation, right? My twins were like, I can't wait to go to the new house and get all of my new toys. And I was like, whoa, 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 (laughs) no new toys. (laughs) Like old toys, new house. But hearing that allows me to have that conversation with them because I'm not going to a new house and you're expecting new toys. And now you are falling out on the floor when you realize that all of these new toys are old toys in a new space. So listen to your children. They might be making up a song in their car seat, in the car, on the car ride home, and it's going to tell you what they're thinking and feeling. The last thing that I want to share with you is a story of my, again, my Eden love when I was pregnant with the twins and she was on a play phone and she, the phone rang and she said, hello, hello, mommy, hello. And I said, oh, she's, she's playing with me. So I picked up my little fake phone with my hand and I answered and I said, hi, Eden. And she looked at me and she said, no, not you, my other mommy. And I was in my feelings. So I said, oh, okay, go ahead and talk to your other mommy. 
and I hung up my little fake phone and she continued to talk to her other mommy and I kind of left it alone and didn't pay attention. Fast forward when I had the twins, the first time that she came to the hospital to meet them, and mind you, they were born months with an S, months early, so they didn't quite look like babies, (laughs) but she came to the hospital to meet them and they were in their little um, ICU beds and she looked at one of the babies and she said, mama, are you her mommy? And I said, yes. And then she looked at the other baby and she said, are you his mama? And I said, yes. And then she looked at me and she pointed to her little heart and she said, are you still my mommy? And I said, yes. And my heart broke. But I realized in that moment, like back when she was playing on the phone saying, I'm talking to my other mama, I realized that this poor baby really didn't know what it meant that these two new babies were coming. She didn't know what to expect. And here she is for months thinking, maybe I'm going to a new home. Maybe I'm getting a mom. And so I share that story to say, like, listen to your children. They're always telling us what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and giving us opportunities to open up the doors of communication to tell them what to expect and for them to tell us what they feel so that we can really be there for them and support them. And again, lessen these behavior issues, sleep issues, eating issues, um, and give them that confidence and support that they're looking for. So that's all I got for you today, y'all. I hope that you got some good nuggets. I've got to run because my husband is with the children and they're in a new house that still has boxes all over. So I don't know what that's going to look like. Although I do want to take all the boxes and make a box slide on our new set of stairs because this is the first time we've had stairs in our house. And I definitely want to do the box slide thing and slide with them. So maybe I'll do that tonight. But thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to catching up with you guys next time. And thank you to everybody who is a part of my community, whether here or on Instagram. This time has been trying. It has been hard. And y'all have been here for me like nothing I could have imagined. And so I want to say thank you. But I will talk to you next time, friends. Take care.